Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, sit here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. And he arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his own son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. There are some scriptures that feel almost too heavy to try and preach about. I've been in full-time ministry for about 17 years, and for that long I have avoided trying to say a word about this passage, not because it doesn't move me deeply, but I don't know how you talk about a story like this without feeling yourself like a fraud with anything you would say about it. It's out of my depth. It's, out, it's, it's beyond my understanding. How can we say anything that would add to the gravity of what was done on this occasion in this situation? How do we begin to speak about Abraham's faith? I don't know. I mean, that night, did he sleep at all? I can't imagine he would have. But how do you get up not a month later, not a year later, but the next day and make preparations for such a task as the one he had just been given? And we have to avoid the temptation as readers to start dodging that issue because you say, well, it's going to be okay because God's not going to make him go through with it. It's going to turn out okay. He's going to get to walk back with Isaac. There's going to be a ram. Everything's going to be fine, we want to tell ourselves. But nobody told Abraham that. When you see this man walking towards this looming mountain with his child, carrying the wood, building the altar, Binding his son, taking the knife, this isn't a man who was bluffing. Nobody told him he was going to get to dodge that situation. Think about all that it had cost him already up to this point. It, it, by now, it's likely been more than 30 years since God told him, I'm going to give you this son and you're going to be a father of generations and all generations of the world will be blessed by you and your offspring. It's been more than 30 years since he was told that, and now we come to this moment where all he has left is Isaac. It would be one thing. It would still be unthinkable, but it would be one thing if Ishmael was still in the picture. Abraham had always thought of him until he was sent away as a sort of other option. Well, if I lose this son, at least I've still got this one. But what's just happened with Ishmael? He's been sent off into the wilderness. Who knows if Abraham ever even saw him again, or if he did, if Ishmael would want to speak to his father after having been sent away into the wilderness. Isaac is the only thing he's got left, the child of promise, the child who was supposed to become a nation. I don't know if he could get up the nerve to call his son by name as they went up that mountain. Do you remember what his son's name means? Isaac means laughter. Laughter. Pick up this wood. Laughter. Let's go up to worship. I imagine if I were in his shoes, I'd be wondering if my life had become some sort of divine comedy and I was the punchline. How could, this be, how could this be what God is asking me to do? Now, the book of Hebrews reflects on this story, and it would remind us that 
In Abraham's mind, perhaps his future had already been as good as dead. Sarah had been unable to conceive. They weren't having any children. There wasn't any hope already. Isaac was purely a gift and a miracle as it was. And so the book of Hebrews says, Abraham surely must have believed that God could raise him from the dead and somehow restore to him a future. But even so, when I try and speak about this, I don't have that kind of faith. How do you walk up that mountain with your only child trusting without any game plan that somehow God is still going to do all the things that he has promised he was going to do? I see Abraham's faith and I recognize I am only beginning to understand what faith really is. How can we begin to understand the kind of relationship and influence that Abraham and his son must have had or the things that they came to understand together about what it meant to really give your life to God, the cost of worship, the cost of worshiping God? The text says nothing about this, but we know that Abraham is over 100 years old and Isaac certainly old enough and big enough to be carrying the wood up the mountain on his own, I don't see any conceivable way that someone over 100 years old could get the upper hand on a strong young man and tie him down. You look at this story, and it's an assumption, but I assume there must have been some kind of a willingness and a trust between these two. What kind of a father must he have been that his son would cooperate with such an unbelievable demand, the cost of worshiping God. One of my preaching professors several years ago was telling a story about talking to a young seminary student, like a first or second year seminary student, who by the way, the bad thing about them, and I've been one of these guys, is they think they're the smartest people in the world, right? I've had a couple of years of advanced Bible study under my belt, now I know everything. You learn, you realize as you go, you know less and less. But he was talking to this young seminary student and found out he was taking a preaching course and said, well, that's great. He said, in fact, I've got my first real sermon coming up that I've got to present to the class. And he said, well, that's wonderful. What are you preaching about? He said, well, I decided to preach on Genesis chapter 22, the story about Abraham almost sacrificing Isaac. My professor said, well, you know, that's a, that's a pretty heavy story. That's a pretty heavy passage. Are you sure you want to start with that one? And the guy said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got it all figured out. I mean, the point of the text is sometimes you have to give up stuff for God. You have to do things that are hard for God's sake. And so the way I'm going to illustrate it is it's kind of like school. So a couple of weeks ago, it was the weekend, and I wanted to go do a bunch of fun stuff with my friends, but I knew I had an exam on Monday, so I stayed in the dorm and I studied all weekend so that I could do better on the test on Monday. See, sometimes when you love God, you have to do stuff that's hard for you. He thought he got it. He didn't get it. It's the shoes that we all walk in. How can we really grasp the depth and the magnitude of what is happening in this situation? I can look at what their faith cost them or would have cost them, and all I can say is I have nothing to complain about. My life has been too easy too blessed. The doors have opened for me too easy. I have no credibility to speak on the cost of following God. How do you measure the weight of this situation? 
How do we speak in a way that does justice in describing the providence and wisdom of God? What a statement. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You can think about your life's most difficult circumstance. It's not just in the easy place. It's absolutely at the end of the rope, at the top of the mountain, on the top of the altar. It's there that God swoops in and provided everything that was needed. Now, I think we would all say we wish we had that kind of faith in God's ability to provide for us, but the truth is I think most of us prefer our own plans when those are the option first, wouldn't we? God, I want to trust your plan, and I want to believe your promises, but I think I can kind of do this by my own scheming. If I scheme a little more and, you know, I network with my people a little more and I've got my new leadership paradigm, you know, my own little plans are pretty good. Why don't we start with those, God? And maybe if I absolutely have to, I'll think about trusting you. Fortunately, God's providence is wise enough to take our own foolishness into account And often it feels like foolishness is really all that I have to offer in comparison to the wisdom of God. But to try and really live as if the Lord will provide. We can speak those words, but do we begin to understand what it means to live and to trust in those words? The harder part of this passage is that the story of Abraham and Isaac is already beyond our depth, but this is only a foreshadowing of the greater story. There's an even bigger story anticipated in what we've just witnessed. If you think about yourself at the base of Mount Moriah, you with your child, I was thinking about this story and I was reminded of an old Beach Boys song called Forever. It was released in 1970. And despite the fact that I'm sure it was written with kind of your, your, the love of your life in mind, you could certainly look at one of your children or any of your children, and in fact, I would encourage you, if you've got one of your children nearby, to have a look at them and think about these words. Would you not say this to anyone in whom you delight? If every word I said could make you laugh, I'd talk forever. If the song I sing to you could fill your heart with joy, I'd sing forever. Let the love I have for you live within your heart and beat forever. But standing with your child at the base of that mountain, looking up at the top of that mountain, which must have felt like gazing into the abyss, wouldn't you sing a very different song? Walking toward the top of that peak, wouldn't you say, if, if every step I take leads closer to your harm, I'll never walk again. I couldn't do it. If every word I speak leads to your undoing, I'll be mute. I'll never talk again. Who could move forward on such a terrible demand? Who could do it? And Abraham doesn't even understand that in this moment, his life is not just his life. It's also a parable. It's one of those stories that turns the world upside down and forces us to question everything. 
Do you understand what Mount Moriah is? Do you understand what this location is? Mount Moriah begins to take significance because of what happens with Abraham and Isaac there on top of this mountain. It becomes a very special place in the history of all Abraham's descendants. Sometime later, King David negotiates for this piece of property. It's been made into a threshing floor by a man named Araona. And so David negotiates with him because he wants to buy the threshing floor. And here on this threshing floor, what was formerly known as Mount Moriah now becomes the basis where the temple is built. It's where Solomon built his temple. It carries enormous significance. If you've been there in the present day, you've seen the Dome of the Rock that now sits there at the same location. But when we tell the story of Abraham and Isaac, there's the story of God providing the substitute. But understand that at Mount Moriah, Abraham is not the only father who ever went with his son to that mountain to worship. Because it was there nearby in Jerusalem on the mountain of God that our father went with his son who was also carrying the wood upon which he was to die. But in the moment when he'd been bound and placed there to give his life, there was no voice from heaven to stop the hands of the ones who took his son's life. Somehow, mysteriously through this act, God was glorified and we were saved. We can look at Abraham's dilemma and the task he was called to, and truthfully, all I can say is, I can't do it. If that's, if that's the cost of my soul, the price of my ransom, what would free me from the bondage I've placed myself in, it's too much, I can't pay it. But for our sake, on the mountain of the Lord, it was provided. It was provided. Such wisdom, such courage, such faith. I have nothing to say that could in any way enhance what we've been given through this life and through this story and so I want to go a different direction with you this morning than what we have typically done. And uh, I want to invite all of us for a couple of minutes to reflect silently. And uh, I'll guide us into that. And after a couple of minutes, Mike is going to lead us in what I think is a very appropriate song to invite us back present into the room. But I'm going to join you, join you in this. But I want to invite you to, as you sit there, to close your eyes and I want you to begin taking some deep breaths. Even now, let's recognize together that as we breathe, it is God who is giving us the next breath. It is God who, even now, is sustaining us and enabling us to live. Because our words are inadequate to describe the situation, how we feel in response to it, I want to invite all of us to move to a period of silence 
And if you can, see if you can pray to God without using words, but merely expressing in your heart what you see and what you feel in this great sacrifice that was made on your behalf. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? No greater love 
for your presence. And one of the things we want to do as a congregation is that any time one of our own or someone who's here visiting, if you have some sort of a need in your life, if there's some way that you're hurting, if there's a way that you've been wanting to come home but have been too afraid to take that step, I hope you understand that God has done everything he could to let you know that he wants you to come home, that this is a place that you're going to be loved and you're going to be accepted. And if there's some way we can help you, however you need to respond, we would invite you to talk to us while together we stand and sing this next song. 